During the reign of King Saul, first king of Israel, the Philistines were coming close. They're getting close to Bethlehem, south of Bethlehem. There's a, there's a valley there called the Valley of Elah. On either side of the mountain stood on one side the Philistines. On the other side, God's people Israel. The Philistines were threatening. They had, they had a big weapon. Their main weapon was a man by the name of Goliath. And he was a giant. He was huge. And he was threatening. Not too far from there was, was an aged, godly man by the name of Jesse. He had eight sons. Three of his oldest sons were in the battle with King Saul. But the youngest son, David, was keeping the sheep of his father. But Jesse had David one day to go and to take some food and provisions for his brothers, for the captain of his brothers, and then also to bring word about how things are going. Goliath, every day, morning and evening, for over 40 days, he would continue to come out and challenge the, the Israelites, saying, you know, come out and battle me. If you beat me, we'll be your servants. But if I beat you, then you'll be our servants. Here we are. What's your problem? Well, it was a problem. Nobody from Israel was willing to go out and fight. David shows up. He hears these words, and he gets involved in the battle. What's your favorite part of David and Goliath? What's your favorite part? I want to share with you my favorite part in just a moment. Over the years, uh, little ones, little children have been asked about David and Goliath, what their favorite part or what their lesson uh, is. What's the, what's the lesson you learned from David and Goliath? One little girl said, well, if you serve false gods, you're going to lose your head. Another little girl said, big people don't always get to do the big things. That's true. One little boy asked, what's the lesson you learned from David and Goliath? He says, you've got to learn to duck. <laughs> Looking at it totally from the standpoint of Goliath, you've got to learn to duck. That was his lesson from it. My favorite part of Goliath is 1 Samuel 17, 48. David ran to the giant. David ran into the battle. That's my favorite part. David ran to the battle. We need to keep that in mind. When Jesus came to this earth, He was running into the battle. The battle between righteousness and the tragedy of sin. The battle between the Lord and Satan. He was running into the battle when He came to this earth. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me. Isaiah was saying, I'll run into the battle for you, Lord. When John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness, he was coming and he was running into the battle. Like David, we've got to run into the battle. Jesus sent out his apostles, Matthew 10, on a limited commission, sending them forth as, as little sheep, as, as lamb into the midst of wolves. He was sending them into the battle. Run into the battle. When Jesus gave the great commission, he was saying, in effect, run to the battle. And that's exactly what they did. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 and 14, and to preach to those who were lost, he was running into the battle. When Peter and John went to the temple to teach, 
And daily from house to house, Acts 5.42, they were running into the battle. When Paul and Barnabas, Silas and others took the great commission to heart and went into all the world, going to Corinth and Ephesus and Rome and other places, they were running into the battle. In Philippians 2, when Epaphroditus went to check on Paul as he was in prison in Rome for a while, he was running into the battle. David ran to meet the giant. So must we today. We must run. When missionaries go into a foreign field and they're taking the gospel and they don't know what's before them at all, they are running into the battle. I speak often of my father-in-law who passed away in 2003 as a missionary to India and to Africa and and other places in the world. One of of the years he got to thinking, well, we've been to India now, but we've never gone on over into Bangladesh. So one year he had his translators to make preparations for him to take at least a couple weeks going to Bangladesh. There are parts of Bangladesh where they've never seen a white man before. So there he goes into Bangladesh. He doesn't know anyone. But his translators from India put him on a plane to fly into Bangladesh. And how was he going to know who his translator was going to be there? Well, when he got into the airport, he was to look for a man who was holding up a sign with his name on it. If he's holding up a sign with his name on it, then go with that man. That's exactly what he did. Missionaries, when they go into foreign fields, they're running into battle. When we go to our neighbors, we're running into the battle. When we give someone a track for gospel teaching, we're, we're running into the battle. When we invite someone to VBS, we're running into battle. When parents bring their children up in the nurture of the Lord, they're running into battle. They're not in battle against their kids They're in battle against Satan and they're raising their kids to be soldiers of Christ. Soldiers of Christ arise. We're bringing up our children to run into the battle. So David did. That's my favorite part. That's my favorite part. By the way, in Vacation Bible School this week, which begins this evening, good Lord willing, at 6.30, there's going to be several running into the battle. We're going to be talking about running to the Father for forgiveness through the prodigal son uh, story. We're going to be talking about Abraham running to prepare food so he could run and hear a message from God. Zacchaeus running ahead to see Jesus. Peter and John running to explore the mystery of that empty tomb. Let's notice together three characteristics of David's running. And then we will move on to another part of our worship. David ran. David ran. First, David ran with courage. David ran with courage. As we mentioned a moment ago, the Israelites couldn't do anything against Goliath and the Philistines because they were scared. If you look in your Bible, 1 Samuel 17, verse 11, they were greatly afraid. They were dismayed. They were confused. That's what fear does to us. It confuses us. They were greatly dismayed. Look again, 1 Samuel 17, 24. They're fearful. They are shaking in their boots like a bunch of frightened rabbits. They couldn't see themselves at all going any further than what they were doing. They were fearful. 
David would not be. David would look, if you look at 1 Samuel 17, 45, he would look at Goliath and he would say, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin and a shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of, the God of Israel. If you look at 1 Samuel 17, 31 to 37, you see that David looks to, to Saul almost calmly and says, uh, your servant will go and fight Goliath today. It's not right to be fearful in the face of the enemy. Our enemy today, of course, is sin and Satan. It's not right to be fearful. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. It's not right to be fearful. I didn't say it was easy to be courageous, but it's not right to be fearful. Psalm 27 and verse 1 The writer says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It's just not right to crouch in fear. It never has been, never will be. We see this manifested in the book of Acts in so many ways. Acts 27, for instance, verse 24, Acts 27, 24, this is when Paul was headed toward Rome and they run into a huge storm on the sea and basically have a bad shipwreck and the people are very, very frightened. And Paul, he looks to them and he says, he says, don't be afraid. The Lord has told me not to be afraid. The Lord has told me that we will go to Rome. I must stand before Caesar. And he says, I believe the Lord. Paul does. I believe the Lord that it will be exactly as he has said. The boldness that we find in the book of Acts is just very revealing. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. When they beheld the boldness of Peter and John and saw that they were unlearned and common men, they were astonished. But then they perceived that they had been with Jesus. That made all the difference. Oh, oh, these men have been with Jesus. Well, that makes all the difference. Acts chapter 9, 27, Barnabas, very bold man, very courageous. Saul of Tarsus has been converted to Christ. He's been spending some time in Damascus preaching boldly that Jesus is the Son of God. But they run him out of there, so he comes to Jerusalem, and the brethren in Jerusalem do not want to accept him as a true convert. So Barnabas takes him, brings him to the apostles, and declares how boldly he's been speaking, how how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had obeyed the gospel, how he had been boldly speaking in Damascus. And so after Barnabas brought him to the apostles, Paul right there in Jerusalem, Acts 9, 27, and 28, went in and out among them, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And so today, there's a temptation to be fearful in the face of the enemy, in the face of opposition. There's our temptation. Several reactions come about 
when we are fearful. Sometimes it just causes us to want to ignore that which is wrong. For David, it was simple. Here is someone defying the living God. He could not ignore it. Sometimes the temptation just to ignore it. Sometimes the temptation just pretend it does not exist. Or to hope it will just go away on its own. See, Goliath was not going to go away on his own. He had been there 40 days, morning and night. He is threatening. He's getting closer and closer. He's not going away. David ran to Goliath because he knew Goliath was not... He wasn't going to hope that somehow the problem would just kind of take care of itself. No, David ran into the battle. In the second place, David ran with conviction. Conviction. Conviction simply means a firmly fixed, held belief in God. Expressed in the most simple and straightforward manner. And for David, it was quite simple. Notice right there in 1 Samuel 17, 26. As David heard the words of Goliath, and how he just kind of poked fun at Israel, threatening them, causing them to back up and back up and back up in fear. David said, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? It was just that simple to David. For David, there is a God. He is a true God. He's the only God. For David, he knows that God is doing something marvelous for the world. Sin is in the world, and through the nation of Israel, God is going to bring in a Savior for mankind. A gospel system that would save everybody from their sins. David and and Israel was to have no quarrel with other nations, but if they opposed them, they'd have to take care of business. It was just that simple for David. The truth was that God is real and that He was bringing Jesus into the world. He had chosen this nation, Israel, to make that happen. And for David, anyone who would defy this great purpose then needed to be taught the truth or to be, needed to be stood up to. You notice, you keep reading there in 1 Samuel 17, 26 through 29, that David's oldest brother Eliab will say, Why are you here? Why are you speaking? You ought to be back home. You know, who's watching those few sheep in the wilderness back home? Kind of a backhanded insult, if you will. What are you doing? You have no business here. You have no business speaking. Deliver your food and get gone. David said, verse 29, Is there not a cause? Reading there from the American Standard Version of 1901, Is there not a cause? In other words, is there not a purpose here? Is there not something worth, worth standing up for here? Is there not something worth living for here? Is there not something worth dying for here? Is there not a cause? It was just that simple for David. He had great conviction. The stakes were high on that day, but the stakes are even higher today for us. This is not a battle between two nations today. 
This is the battle of eternal souls. Satan is everywhere. Sin is everywhere. And the people that God has chosen to meet the forces of evil, well, you're looking at them. His church. His church. Do we have the conviction to run headlong into the face of the enemy and to make efforts to oppose what is taking place in the world. We do this because of our Savior, Jesus. He came to seek and save that which was lost, Luke 19 and verse 10. And we must do everything we can within our abilities, within our power, within our knowledge to oppose everything that Satan is doing and Satan is hard at work today. The people that God has chosen to meet the forces of Satan, right, it's the church. No, there's, no other, there's no plan B. Where did David get his conviction? This is an important question. Where did David get his conviction? He got it from the history of God. David knew how God had already worked bringing this world into existence making his promises to bring Jesus into the world, creating a great nation out of Abraham, bringing his people out of Egyptian bondage, now back to the promised land. David knew what God had done. David knew what God had done for him personally. If you look over again to 1 Samuel 17, 31-37, King Saul looked at David and said, You can't do this. You're just a youth. And this man has been a a valiant soldier, a a man of war since his youth. You can't do this. David said, Let me tell you this. In keeping my father's sheep, sometimes a bear or a lion will come through and grab one and I'll have to run that thing down and, and, and rescue the lamb out of the mouth of the lion or the bear. In my work as a shepherd, I have, the Lord has delivered to me lions and bears, and that same Lord today will deliver this Philistine into our hands. It's just that simple for David. He had the history of God behind him. That's where we get our conviction. Not from what God has done for us personally per se, but what has God done as is is recorded in the pages of of, 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 of the Bible. What, it, what The sacred history from Old Testament into New Testament. Oh, that's, that's why I get so excited for the children to learn about the empty tomb. Look what God did through the empty tomb. Look what God did through the Lord. The same God, the same God that has done all these marvelous things as we read about in the Bible, that same God is with us today. David ran with conviction. And then finally, David, he ran with confidence. Trust in the Lord and confidence. Notice his words again for 1 Samuel 17, 45 to 47. He looks to, to Goliath as if he's going to listen or something. But David, is, he's, he's speaking further than Goliath. And he says, we're doing this today so the Lord, that, that the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. And that everybody in the world will know that God does not save through sword or spear or shield, 
But the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. The contrast between Goliath and David could not be greater. Notice five contrasts. Look, contrast number one, experience. Experience. This man has been a man of war since his youth, and David has been a shepherd. Experience. Contrast number two is size. Size. Goliath was basically ten foot tall. He was a massive man. He was a brute. He was huge. David, shepherd boy. Size. Contrast number three is the armor. The armor. The armor alone of Goliath weighed 156 pounds. David had no armor. He had no armor. Number four, weapons. Weapons. Not only was Goliath covered with armor from, from head to toe, but he had his spear, he had his sword, he had his shield. Actually, interesting. Verse 41 says, Goliath had his own shield bearer. Another fellow carrying his shield for him. So that when David ran into battle, he's not only facing Goliath, but he's facing this other fellow who is big enough and strong enough to carry the shield of Goliath. Weapons. David had a sling and rock. Contrast in both armor and weapons. But then here's the main contrast, and that's attitude. Attitude. Day by day, Goliath mocked, made fun, and created a great amount of confusion toward the God of Israel. He would curse the God of Israel. He would curse David's faith day by day by day by day. But David trusted in the God of Israel. On the one hand, Goliath cursed the God of Israel, but David trusted in the God of Israel. And through all of this, God once again is teaching us that oftentimes He will take what is considered small, weak, and insignificant, and He'll create a victory out of that. That's what He's doing here. And this is New Testament teaching. If you look over to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, God uses the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God uses the weak things of this world to put to shame the strong. That is, things which appear foolish to the world, God uses those very things to bring about victory. Things that would appear weak to the world, God uses those very things to create faith. You see, when you looked at it, interestingly, okay, if you back up just a couple of chapters, when, um, what is it, 1 Samuel 16. Samuel comes, God sends Samuel to anoint a new king. Well, let's see, go to Jesse's house, let's see everybody there. So they run through all the brothers, 
You know, surely the king's going to be found among some of these. And God said no. Samuel said to Jesse, is there another one? Yeah, he's out keeping the sheep. And what God teaches there in 1 Samuel 16, 7 through 9, is that God doesn't look on appearance. God looks on the heart. Now back to our story. From the appearances of things, right there in that valley of Elah, It's not a matter of if but when. Goliath is going to win this battle against against David. The Israelites are going to become the servants of the Philistines. It's a foregone conclusion. It's a done deal. And Goliath thought so. I mean, you look at 1 Samuel 17, 43. Goliath comes out and here comes David and he... He laughs, he says, am I a dog that you're coming at at me with this, with with sticks and stones? Am I a dog? But you notice, where did the stone hit Goliath? Yeah, on the forehead. Goliath had not even bothered to lower his face mask. This was not going to be a battle. Ten foot tall, shepherd boy, I don't have to lower my face mask. This is a done deal. It's all but over. Just a matter of when I decide to do this. Notice that after Goliath is on the ground. By the way, can you imagine the dust that must have come up in a poof when he hit the ground? With all that clanging armor on, can you imagine how that must have sounded? On that day, when he hit the ground, if you keep reading there in verses 49, 50, 51, David walks up. Now he's going to cut the head off of Goliath. It's in the Bible. But he gets, David doesn't have a sword. So where is Goliath's sword? It's still in his sheath. He doesn't bother to lower his face mask and he doesn't bother to take out his sword. This battle is over. I can take my bare hands and get this boy. This little shepherd boy. The battle is the Lord's. And David ran into battle with courage, conviction, and confidence. Can we learn from him? Can we face Satan? Can we make an impact into this world? Can we enter the Christian race? Can we enter the good fight of the faith? And can we help you this morning? Can we help each other? God has provided a way for Christians to come home. Sometimes we, we do get fearful. Sometimes we get distracted. He's, he's, he's provided a way. If we confess our faults to one another and pray for one another, James 5, 16. If we confess our sins to God, 1 John 1 and verse 9, He'll forgive us our sins. That's... That's a promise for Christians, but those who have not become Christians, Jesus said, to, to obtain forgiveness in the very first place, you've got to believe and be baptized. Can we help you with any spiritual need this morning? Let us do that right now as we stand together and as we sing.